How do you feel about technology? What do you actually think? But don't be fooled by robots. Even when they get warm skin and even when they get perfume, they start smelling like us and getting really interesting. They are still machines. They have no warm blood in them. There's no sex in them. They have no mortality. They're cold, cold lions. Well, this is our most common perception about technology. And so we've come to understand technology as mostly an artificial system. At best, it is a simulation, a practical imitation of the natural. But how true is this common understanding of nature of technology? Is our technology part of the natural? Does our technology share some similarities with the natural? Can it be said to be the same with the natural? And if so, what characteristics or qualities does it share with the natural? And how can we leverage on these to create a more humane technology that will suit us and better our world? I'm joined on the show today by futurist speaker and best-selling author Christian Kramer. Christian Kramer is the best-selling author of the book Humanification. And he joins me to discuss ideas from his book concerning the common principles relating biology and technology. You know, what is the meeting point between technology and biology and how can we learn from this and apply them in our business and life? How can we develop and adopt sophisticated technology and still remain human? How can we go digital and also stay human? And is our technology actually ushering us into a period of human god era, what many have described as an age of homo deus? Join us as we explore this on this episode. You're welcome to the show. Artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, biotechnology. They are powerful and cataclysmic. I think the emergence of artificial intelligence will redefine our lives forever. With this technology, our future hangs in the balance. Emergent technologies are the future of humanity. This is the Future Discussions Podcast. On this show, we talk about almost any issue that affects our future as humans. Look at this through the lens of emerging, converging and destructive technologies, paying close attention to how we can leverage on these technologies to create the kind of future we want. I am Augustus Chukwu. Join me as I take you on this amazing journey of discovering our future and the powers locked within our emerging technologies. So it's uh, with great pleasure that I would like to welcome you, uh, uh, Mr. Christian Crome, to the Future Discussion Podcast. I'm very pleased to have you on the show. Welcome. 
Thank you for having me here. Looking okay. forward. Yeah. So um, let's uh, get down to the. Um, I'm very excited. You no, know, having met you for the first time. Um, let's uh, get down to the nitty gritty of what we want to talk about. I, before we begin, you you wrote a book called Humanification, and uh, you're known widely uh, for how you actually propagate the very concept of uh, giving more like a human face uh, to our technology and, and seeing the patterns both in biology and as it appears also in technology. So I'd like to understand, tell us a little bit about your backstory and uh, what really inspired you to write the book, Humanification. Okay, um, yeah, my, my background is um, I was a tech entrepreneur for 15 years. So I founded a company which helped large organizations to, to reinvent, to disrupt themselves, to find out new products and services which are more human-centered. And at a certain level, my daughter was born in 2011, and we discovered that she had some severe health problems. Um, and the hospital could not help us any further, so there was no medication or treatment that could help her. So they gave her a terminal diagnosis. Uh, so we were forced to look uh, for a solution ourselves. So after three months, we took her out of the hospital and we started to do research. And during my research, um, looking to the human body in a more holistic way, I started to see patterns. Uh, because if you look at the human body, uh, you can see a community of trillions of cells working together in harmony every day, solving very big problems on a 24-7 basis. And with my tech background, I saw similarities between how cells with biology solve problems in organisms and how humans use technology to solve problems in organizations. And because I was helping large organizations to, um, to become better or uh, more agile or um, to survive, um, I started to see these patterns and I thought it was an important message to share with other people. So I started to speak about it, uh, keynotes, uh, workshops, and a lot of people said, why don't you write a book? So I did, and the book became an instant uh, bestseller on Amazon.com. And today I'm a world-renowned speaker and a futurist, which is uh, traveling all over the world to um, evangelize my, my story and uh, tell um, the parallels uh, that help us to predict where technology is going and what the impact of technology will be on organizations, on, on human beings, but also on society as, as a whole. So that's, that's basically the background story. It's my daughter started it all, and uh, she gave me the, the, the push or the, the drive to write the book and to, to share this message with as many people as possible. Yeah, that's uh, great. Uh, very interesting, very interesting there. Um, I'm sure your daughter gave you a very huge gift there. Uh, and that goes to show that uh, we can actually get uh, inspiration from the likeliest of sources or from places that would, uh, from things that we actually see as challenges. Uh, in those, we I can also find inspiration and opportunities as well. So let's get down to the, the, the book itself. Um, what's the main thesis of, of the book, Humanification? Uh, the main uh, thing about humanification is um, the, the similarities between how uh, cells evolved. If you go one billion years back in, in history, then you see that small cells start to develop uh, communication skills, start to work together, and they start to grow and became bigger cell communities. And during their growth, they encountered all kinds of problems. And they solved these problems in exactly the same way as we human beings do with technology. Um, and 
And what you can see in the evolution of biological organisms, there were seven big waves. Uh, the first wave was all about uh, cells start to interact with each other, start multicellular organisms. The second wave was about infrastructure, so cells start to develop a digestive system, a vascular system to bring nutrition and building blocks throughout the entire cell community. But the third big wave was about nerve systems, so they developed some kind of internal internet system or, or um, digital highways to transform, uh, transport information throughout the cell community. After a while, they started the, in the fourth wave with the reptile brain, which automated all the internal processes in your body. So if you wake up in the morning, your, your heart is already beating, your digestive system is already working, everything works fine. So it's fully automated. And the fifth wave is all about um, the, the limbic brain or the social, the mammal brain, which helps us to uh, recognize and remember things, situations, locations and stuff, uh, but also um, other organisms. So we became more social beings and start to live in, in hurdles and groups. And the sixth wave is um, about the neocortex. So the brain that helps us to learn and adapt in real time and also solve problems, which are much bigger. And the final biological upgrade, the seventh wave is all about the prefrontal cortex, which is um, the, the part of the brain, the executive brain, which helps us to visualize things, but also to execute things. So if you want to build a house, you can imagine how it looks like in your brain, but you also can build it, you can execute it with your hands. So in these patterns, these waves are repeating today, but in a much higher speed. Um, the first big technological wave was the agricultural revolution, where people start to develop language. We start to share ideas and concepts that help us to do agriculture, build villages and cities. And these cities grow over time and became bigger and bigger. Then the second big technological wave was the industrial revolution. It's like the infrastructure revolution, where we start to develop large industries, which are basically the digestive system of our society, building raw materials, uh, convert them to iron, for example, for railroads, uh, oil pipelines, or the energy grid, uh, and a vascular system, which is, uh, of course, the railroads, oil lines, and, and our energy grid. Um, and when we developed electricity, the third big wave was there, which was about telecom. We started to develop telecom networks uh, to transport information over long distances, but we also start to develop sensors like microphone and a camera to make radio, television, so we can share um, messages on a larger scale, but also become more aware of our environment uh, as a species. And the fourth wave was all about automation, because after a while there was so much information flowing over these telecom networks that we needed some kind of automation. So big companies like IBM, for example, start to develop microprocessors, but also operating systems and software to automate all the internal processes for our organizations. And then the Fitbit big wave, which started about 1998, then with the introduction of the internet, um, we start to develop some kind of social uh, mammal brain, uh, which helps us to uh, post things on the internet, websites, uh, videos on YouTube, uh, things on social media, which helps us to create some kind of collective memory so we can recognize situations, behavior, we can learn from other people. So we became more social species uh, on, a, on, a humanication, uh, on a humanity uh, scale. And now we are entering the sixth wave, um, which is about, uh, yeah, it's, it's like a similar as the, the neocortex brain, which we are now talking about AI in the cloud. So um, smart machines, which are able to learn by themselves with smart algorithms, that can learn and adapt in real time, and which we can use to solve much bigger problems. And finally, the seventh wave, 
uh, will be about um, yeah, an equivalent of the prefrontal cortex. It's just like um, augmented reality, virtual reality, that helps us to visualize things, uh, concepts that are not yet there, and to help us to collaborate on a much bigger scale. So you can see that these waves are repeating, uh, but now at a much uh, higher rate, uh, more exponentially faster. And what this predicts basically is that if you look at the, the last wave, which was social media, the internet, smartphones, it took 20 years from 1998 to 2018. And the next wave will only take 10 years, but to have twice the impact. So that's that's massive if you look at that. It's, it's a huge impact. So AI, I think, will change the entire fabric of our society. We can do everything in a more efficient, uh, more human way. Um, government, organizations, uh, healthcare will all benefit from this technology. But just like I uh, told in my book, every wave solves a problem, but it also creates a problem on a higher level. Uh, today we have the internet, Facebook, we are all highly connected, but we have huge privacy issues. We have fake news and all these things. Um, but AI, will most of these problems will be fixed by AI, but AI will in its way also create a problem on a higher level, which is more on an ethical level. So uh, self-driving cars, should they, drive over an old woman or a young mother with a child if, if it has to uh, avoid some objects. So these kind of questions come up now. So I think um, technology solves problems, but it also creates new ones and it will challenge human beings to become more human in, in answering these questions because uh, they will be more ethical. Uh, we can do all kinds of things with uh, gene mutations or, or um, uh, CRISPR-Cas9, so we can edit genes especially with AI, but should we do that? And uh, why should we do that? So these questions will be asked more and more. And another thing, another aspect is I think important is that robots and AI will automate many, many um, of our needs. So, and also of our jobs and, and work. So we will be pushed higher into the Maslow pyramid, uh, more towards self-fulfillment and, and purpose. So technology will, push us towards an era where we will ask ourselves, okay, what is the purpose of being a human being? Why are we here? Because if computers and AI can do all these things also, can drive cars and can heal people and stuff, what's the purpose of being a human being? And that is basically the principle of humanification, becoming more human uh, by technology that acts like a mirror and that shows us our flaws, our downsides, and helps us to evolve as a species. So basically that's, that's the, the outline of the book. But the book itself goes into more detail with all kinds of trends and, and uh, science that, that um, lays the foundation uh, under these waves and, and these developments. So that's yeah. basically in a nutshell what it is about. Yeah, the, very interesting, very fascinating there. Um, you, you talked about, at, at the final end of what you, you, your explanation, you talked about technology helping us or to become more human, to really ask the deep questions, deeper questions of what, what it means to be a human and what is our purpose of, for being here. And that is a very interesting question that goes even back to ancient philosophers like <clears throat> Plato and Socrates, you know, who talked about man know thyself, you know, no, that, that question that goes back to man understanding himself. So you, do you think that technology you know, is rallying us to that point where we'll be asking that question in a more practical, uh, in, in more practical terms in our day-to-day -day life? Do you think that technology is taking us to that point when we'll now be able to ask these questions 
And do you think that technology will, be, will enable us to really answer these questions more effectively? Do you think we are entering an age of human godhood? You know, with this, because when we actually understand the very nitty-gritty of our essence, of who we are, if we are asked, able to answer those questions, then we'll practically be entering an age where what Yuval Noah Harari would call homo deus, when human beings will become God. So do you think technology is taking us to that point? You know, where we're able to look ourselves in the mirror of technology and become small as something like God or something like that? Yeah, I definitely think that we are going in that direction. Um, what, what technology is basically doing is, is connecting people. Um, so we will start to develop a collective consciousness. And if all the people on the world are having one kind of consciousness based um, like a swarm of birds or a flock of birds and behave in one single way, then I think basically you have some kind of heaven on earth or some godlike uh, existence. And I also think that that uh, technology will push us to a level that we will go to make a journey inside and see on a more spiritual level who we really are. And I think that technology like uh, helps us with things like meditation and stuff to be much more efficient than monks, Buddhist monks did for 20 or 30 years in a monastery somewhere. But now we can do within a couple of weeks the same with the same result. And in the future, technology will be more effective to do so. So I think that it's inevitable that we go to an era we, where we have, um, I almost think, an unlimited amount of power. But with power comes also a responsibility. And that's, I think, the, the, the human part. And we all see that already with the big companies like Amazon and Google and, and these kind of Facebook. They have yeah, an enormous amount of power, but they don't yet take the responsibility that, that uh, comes with that power. And I think that's one of the as these aspects that we have to solve as humanity. So we should take responsibility for the, the power that we gain with technology. And I think that will be the, one of the biggest struggles in the next two, three decades from now. Yeah, uh, very interesting there. So taking off from what you talked about, um, the power that technology gives to us, gives to us and, um, and the responsibility that also comes with that. You know, and citing these big corporations like Google, Amazon, Facebook and Apple and how they are falling short on these from what you try to, the project you try to undertake in your book, Humanification, can you derive principles that you, along in your journey of understanding how biology and nature actually operates, can you derive some principles that you think are underlying in these biological systems or in, in nature that these corporations can actually uh, uh, learn from? and organize themselves and, uh, and we can actually use in partnering our, our technology in order to really direct us uh, going into the future. Yeah, I think that, that one of the most important principles is in the structure of how these organizations work. If you look at nature, there's no CEO cell or, or board of director cells. Every cell is equal. And, and if you look at the incentives that big corporations have today, they want to earn money, they want to make as much profit as possible. And because they, that is their main goal, uh, they are hiring the brightest people in the world to make us addict, uh, addicted to our smartphones, to sell us products that we don't want or to show us ads and stuff. Yeah. So the incentive of the current organizations is not right. And I think that in the DNA of these organizations, they have shareholders and these shareholders want one thing. They want to have as much profit as possible. So I believe that we should shift to different kind of organizations which are owned by the collective. So um, a shared ownership 
uh, but also shared responsibility. And if we have these kind of organizations, then we will have um, we will use technology not to exploit uh, human beings to earn as well as money as possible, but to help them, to empower them. So I think first we need to change a basic ingredient of organizations is that the internal structure. So um, the new kind of organizations that we see already today are owned by the community. So they are not owned by specific individuals or large banks or whatever, uh, but they are owned by the collective. And I think uh, these more social enterprises, like we call them, uh, if they make a profit, then it's reinvested in society. Um, and I think that's, that's the, the most important thing that organizations should change. Uh, and the principles that um, if these organizations are changed in that way, we should uh, create products that are um, humanized. So they are highly intuitive and they are adapted to our needs and our behaviors. And if organizations do that, and we see this, for example, with the iPhone or the iPad, they are very intuitive to use. Very, they are very humanized in that way. So that makes the adoption of these technologies uh, go exponentially fast. I think that organizations that um, use these principles, making technology human-like, adapting to the needs and to the behaviors, then it's much easier for people to use the technology, and it's much more integrated with, with us human beings. And I think that um, what we already see with, with uh, augmented reality, for example, is that technology is adapting to how we see the world. So 3D projects or objects are projected in our, in our vision, in our peripheral view. And so we can interact with technology in a much more natural way. And AI and AR are enabling these kind of new interfaces. So I think that we will, in the next 10, 20 years, we will see huge changes because Previously, uh, human beings should adapt to technology. We should learn programming languages or read manuals and stuff. But now technology is so powerful that it can adapt to us. So we can simply by talking or thinking about specific things, technology will react to us and we can operate highly advanced systems with highly advanced information. So perhaps the next big killer app is built by a four-year-old guy, a uh, child, which has full imagination and is able to uh, have a dialogue with these kind of machines. So I think making technology more human, uh, more intuitive, is the most important thing that organizations can do. And it sounds really simple, but it's basically really hard to do. And only a couple of organizations are able to do that. Yeah, talking about making technologies more hum human uh, in nature, part of the characteristics of our human beings uh, is that we come with biases and prejudices and, uh, and a whole lot of uh, all the backlog of uh, the negative characteristics that when we apply in the real world, you know, we, we use them to cause catastrophic uh, problems. They have catastrophic consequences. Of course, you see that uh, in, in racial discrimination and a whole lot of that. And, and even existential, we see that in the global warming and the climate change. So, if we make uh, uh, our products in even more human in nature, that's a plot side. It would, uh, of course, that's, that, that would be very nice. But at the same time, what are the negative sides to that? Because when you build your products to become more human-like, it presupposes the fact that to go with all the characteristics that are you know, coming with the, the human nature, and that includes the biases, and that includes all the problems. Recently, I read somewhere where... They found out that our facial recognition artificial system that we have built actually tended to recognize more whites than blacks or people from other racial, uh, considering the fact that these systems were trained 
with uh, let's say uh, European faces or faces of white people, uh, and that. so yeah. when we build these technologies to become more human, don't you think that the the, the problems that we that go with the human nature would manifest? And what will happen when a super intelligent AI carries the biases of the human being? Um, yeah, I think that's a big problem that we have today. We have smart algorithms, but they also copy our own biases that we have as human beings. Um, and, and every wave, um, what I said, solve a problem, but also creates a problem. So with AI, we will have huge, huge um, ethical things that come up that we need to solve. Um, there are already algorithms that are able to eliminate the biases um, so they can relearn themselves and eliminate the biases which are in the learning process. But I think that's only a beginning, that we should do a huge amount of effort, uh, put a huge amount of effort to make these systems um, unbiased. And I think that's one of the hardest parts because we should, uh, again, um, uh, deal with our own flaws. So AI will be a mirror and an amplifier. So uh, it will um, magnify our own flaws and our downsides. And biases and racism and all these things are, are one of these are parts. So I think, again, that technology there will act as a mirror and will show us uh, the dark side of our inside uh, world, which is not yet quite good developed. So I think it will push us towards um, more equality in our society um, and these kind of things. I think it's, um, it's, it's like a mirror and it shows us um, that the systems are not biased, but we are biased and these systems only mirror that, that image of ourselves. So I think it will only reflect on us and it will help us to improve uh, as, as a human being, but also as a society as a whole. Okay, uh, that, that's great. You, you talked about um, how going into the future on, and how, how you learned from one of the principles that you actually learned from our biological systems or the, the way our, the cells in the body worked is that they worked in collective, more like a collective consciousness and they operated uh, in, in hive. So how will the collective consciousness and intelligence of our systems that are probably going to be developed in the future, mirroring our technology, how do you think they will affect the companies of the future, the current society that we have today, going to the future, when our systems become more like you know, these collective systems or the collective hive in the biological system, how do you think they will really affect us, our society? What shifts would they make? What changes would they make? And uh, how are we going to adapt to that? Yeah, I believe that organizations will dissolve. Uh, they will not be separate entities in our society anymore. They will be dissolving into society. Um, in, in my presentations, I show people that with each wave, the, com the number of complexity of organizations increases in tenfold. So the first organizations in the agricultural revolutions were villages of 300, 400 people together. But in the seventh wave, we were able to manage organizations of 500 million people. Today, we have organizations like Uber, which are able to manage 3.7 million taxi drivers using smart algorithms. I think we are going in that direction so that organizations will be platforms, society-wide platforms that people can participate all over the world and then can collaborate with each other uh, using um, language translation systems used by AI, uh, virtual and augmented reality. So you will have interactions with people perhaps living in a different part of the world, speaking a different language. But for you, you have to experience that they are 
in the same room and speaking the same language as you are. So I think collaboration will be much easier due to technology. And that's why the structure of organizations will change in a more fluid way. So we will mo more move towards a flock of bird-like organizations which behave like a group of individuals, uh, experts working together with smart technology. And in one moment in time, it has this shape and then it changes to a different shape because there are different needs in our society to be solved. So I think the solid structure that we see today, the pyramid-like structures of organizations will uh, completely disappear and that we will move towards a more uh, flock of bird-like uh, um, structures which can form a structure and dissolve and form a different structure based on the problems that it needs to solve. Um, and I think that is basically how organizations of the future will look like. In healthcare, education, uh, government, uh, and also, also other kinds of organizations, also in the commercial um, uh, sector. So it will take a while, but I think, I, be I truly believe that we will see in the next 10, 15 years already, a huge extinction event, like the dinosaurs uh, were extinct in the past because their world was changing so exponentially fast. And I think that we will see the same. So dinosaur organizations will, uh, won't survive uh, the next 10 to 15 years because they are not able to adapt fast enough. So they are too big, too slow, uh, they need too much food. Um, and I think that we will go to more mammal-like organisms, smaller startups, um, which are very good at collaborating together. So that's basically what I think that will happen to organizations. And it will already happen in the next 10, 15 years, I think. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so you don't think uh, organizations like United, the United Nations, US governments, US governments, Nigerian governments, uh, governments of the Netherlands, all of those things still being around, let's say, in 30 to 50 years from now? I think we still have governments, but the, 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 the shape of governments will be completely different. Would that be less uh, powerful? Will, uh, they will less powerful, yes, absolutely. I'm pretty sure about that because um, in, the, in the past, governments protected us from, from, from harm. Uh, they gave us food, healthcare, education, all these things. Um, but what if we can um, generate our own energy with the solar panels and we can store our own energy and we can grow our own food, we can produce our own products with 3D printers, we have smart AI technology that helps us to save, uh, prevent us to, to become ill. Um, uh, we have all kinds of technologies that help us to be more self-sufficient. Then the role of the government will be less important. And um, Estonia, for example, is uh, one of the first uh, digital uh, governments in the world, uh, virtual governments, and they only have 8% of the traditional cost that the traditional organization as a government has. So they're much cheaper, but also much more effective, but also less powerful. And I think that in the future, we will go to a different kind of government. Perhaps they will be more focused on the ethical questions that we have in the society and protect uh, the weak people within our society. But I don't think that will be that powerful as they are today because they're too slow and they cannot deliver anymore on the needs of our society. Our society is changing exponentially fast, but the governments are still in wave one or wave two. So they are from 10,000 years ago, the structure. So they cannot keep up with the change. And as a result, they will uh, struggle over their own weight, like the dinosaurs. And um, yeah, that way we will move to a new era where we have different kinds of organizations we still have education, we still have healthcare, still have government, but in a different way. Yeah, uh, interesting there. Um, 
you talked about in the past, you touched uh, a little bit on in the past when you talked about um, the nature of change and time you know, with our technological uh, uh, systems uh, being developed. The, the, the thing that actually took in the past a decade or two, uh, even a hundred years to happen, you know, that happens in a short while. Uh, so I like to stay, stay a little bit more on that. Talk to us about the nature of change in respect to technological evolution. Is it a consequence of our technological evolution? Or is it a consequence of our development as humans? And how is that affecting us? And how, how do you see that panning out in the future? Now, I believe that, that the exponential speed that we see today is, is not new. Um, in the previous development, from cells to, uh, to, to Homo sapiens, the same principles apply, but slower. So um, recently I found some research from um, Arthur M. Young. He was also the inventor of the, uh, the first Bell helicopter. And what he did is that he complemented my research until the first, uh, after the Big Bang. So what you see on the development of uh, atoms, molecules, and cells, these seven waves are repeating itself. So it's like a property of our universe, uh, which each, each step is going exponentially faster than a previous step. So there are platforms that build on a platform on a platform, just like a rocket which is launched each stage is building upon the speed that the previous stage already had. So it's going faster and faster. And what I think that will, that will happen in the next 30, 40 years, and some people talk about singularity or some point that we cannot see beyond. Um, I think that uh, the basic construct of our society, of, of universe, is, is a holographic one, I think, I believe. And I think that technology will also go into holographic, a more holographic technology like AR. You'll see that happen in that direction. Uh, we have holographic chips already, um, uh, quantum uh, networks communication, which is uh, photon entanglement. So it's going to the holographic um, area. And I think that we will eventually discover the source code of the fabric of our of our universe, and that we are able to. Um, on a quantum level, able to manipulate that source code and change reality in that case. So I, I believe that the point of singularity is, is a point where we are so smart and so powerful, uh, the godlike state that you referred to previously, that we were able to, to manipulate the source code of our universe, um, the source code of living cells, but also the source code of matter uh, in that, that case. And yeah, that's really exciting because that is a point that we are going to experience in our lifetime already. It's about 20 or 30 years away. So what will happen, I don't know, but I think that it will go to a point where time and space is not that relevant anymore and that we will be omnipresent in that way. Yeah, then if we have that kind of a scenario playing out, we wouldn't really be existing as individuals per se, if you have that kind of a scenario, then we'll be existing more like a hive mind or, 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 or something like that because the very concept of when you, when you have the ability to tweak reality you know, to your favor and when time and space fades away or, the, the, or when it drops, what kind of, we cannot really imagine that kind of a world like, what is, what is it going to look like? Uh, uh, how are we going to describe it? What would be the definition of humans in that kind of a world? What, what is it going to yeah. look like? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult question. I don't have the answer. <laughs> but I have, I've 
have some visions how, how it might look like. Um, in, in many old cultures, they are talking about heaven on earth or a golden age or an age where we can be thousands years old, etc. Yeah. I think that that is a different state of being than we have today. Um, a human being is, is a f- flesh and blood. It's a physical vessel that we operate in. But I think that we will discover that the consciousness that operates humanity and, and animals and, and nature is the real driving force behind um, life on Earth and, and perhaps our universe. And I think that that technologies like AI and stuff will help us to really understand how consciousness operates. Um, yeah, it will be perhaps some kind of dream world where we are able to manifest in real time. Um, in the past decades, you already see that creating a car, for example, in the first it took 10 years. And today it, it took only uh, a couple of months to create a new car model. So uh, with 3D printers, we were able to think about something and it will 3D materialize in front of your eyes. So I think the cycle between having an intention and creating an, a product or a service will uh, increase or become smaller and smaller until uh, a point that it's happening in real time. And that's basically like we are dreaming. We are conscious about what we are dreaming. We are creating our reality and we are experiencing that reality at the same time. Um, yeah, that, that's, I think, some kind of dream world that we are co-creating with each other. Uh, like what's happening in VR already with Second Life and things, but much more realistic and much more in, in line with, with uh, how our reality is today. And perhaps much brighter and much more fulfilling than we have today. Yeah, um, you talked about, uh, one of your articles, you talked about uh, the concept of a digital double of a human being. Now, and so the picture you painted there was quite fascinating, very interesting, you know, uh, having yourself you know, replicated in a different way. So talk to us a little bit more on that, what, what you mean by a digital double. What are the, what's the relationship? Is there a relationship with that and mind uploading? A digital double is basically a digital copy of, of a physical thing. Uh, we already see this with buildings, for example. So they build buildings with all kinds of sensors in it, and they recreate a 3D model of that building uh, with all the information of the sensors in it, so they can do all kinds of simulations. What I think that is going to happen is that uh, all our actions that we have with our smartphone or with the digital world are documented in some kind of database. And at a certain point, we will have ownership of the data. And if you make the data smart by putting an AI on it and look, uh, start to look and investigate and research all your interactions, then it can make some kind of virtual model uh, of you that makes the same decisions and it thinks, thinks in exactly the same way as you do. And if you, if you have that kind of model, um, then you can train it to do things for you. And I believe that we will create a virtual double, a virtual version of yourself that is present in the virtual world 24-7, and that uh, acts and behaves exactly in the same way as you do. It makes the same decisions, it buys the same stuff, uh, it will give you the same answers if you have a conversation. And that digital double will be omnipresent, so it can be at 10 or 100 or 1,000 places at the same time in the virtual world. So I think in the future, uh, that digital double will help you to be more present in the here and now in the, virtual, in, the, in the real world, because your virtual double is doing all the interaction in the virtual world, it makes you helps you to be more human in the real world, and um, I think it's really exciting that that you can have some kind, just like an extension of your prefrontal cortex, uh, a voice that helps you to make the right decisions. 
to make you more to make more uh, better long-term decisions because I think that most of the, the troubles that we have as humanity is that we make short-term decisions we are emotional creatures and we make short-term decisions because we are quite lazy but I think that technology like a, a virtual or a digital double will help us to make better rational long-term decisions uh, which is better for ourselves but also for humanity as a whole um, so the plastic soup uh, um, smoking all these things uh, were done by small uh, short-term decisions uh, earning money but I think if technology will help us to make better long-term decisions um, as, as a government also as individuals as organizations then our society will go forward in, in huge steps I think uh, towards a more sustainable society more equal society yeah um, also um, we're also uh, um, the riches are less, less rich and, and uh, the wealth is more spread over the entire society. Is that closely related to the concept of mind uploading? Mind uploading and, and what you hear, hear um, in, in um, films like Transcendence or, or transhumanistic uh, uh, groups, yeah. I think it's, 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 it's a projection on where our technology is today. We have a server in the cloud and, and perhaps some day your mind can be uploaded. I think that's a very simplistic way of viewing a technology. I think that technology 10, 20, 30 years from now will be completely different and more biological than we have today. And that's what I talk about by humanification of technology. If technology becomes more like us, then the integration is more seamless. Um, so uploading your mind or hard drive uh, somewhere on the internet, I don't believe that at all. I think that eventually we will uh, be able to um, that our consciousness, or yeah, if you call it the mind or consciousness, will be able to move freely through uh, uh, time and space. And I think in that way you can compare it, but I think the technology um, two decades from now will be more holographic, um, and that will have in that way a more natural way of, of transcending. It's not a physical thing, like you leave your physical body and you go into the computer. No, it's more like computer becomes like life on Earth, like the rest of our, our living things, and then the transition becomes more natural. Yeah, how much human, how much real uh, can we, can it look like? Talking about this digital double, if you have your digital double, uh, how much of you is it, uh, can it actually represent? Uh, because we are talking about your activity, your digital footprint, on the internet, on the digital world. So how can we yeah. really, can we really say that this is actually you? And when it makes decisions or mistakes, can we attribute them to you? How much of you is it or will it be? I think it will be scary <laughs> a lot like you. It will be uh, like if you're looking in a mirror, but the only difference is that you have soul and in the mirror is a soulless reflection. And I think that the virtual copy of you will also be a, um, a soulless entity. So you are the master, that's slave. So I think it will look perhaps um, completely identical. Perhaps only atom, uh, every atom should could be the same in the future if we have very powerful technologies. Um, but I think they could, the soul can only be in one place. So I think that that people will be the master, and that the um, the slave, the virtual, the digital version will be like the real thing, but don't have a soul. It will be a slave to you. Yeah. Is this a kind of like a precursor to 
immortality, the, the, the question of immortality that people have been talking about that technology will give to us. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I believe that, that, that we live in a universe which is a holographic representation. Uh, we create the, the, the images that we see and the sounds that we hear are created in our heads like a holographic construct. I believe if we can build technology that does basically the same, uh, then we um, don't need a physical body anymore. So we can live in that holographic construct and we can manipulate it. So um, in that sense, you will have um, life extension almost unlimited because uh, we, we don't have a, a body anymore that's generate, that has a degenerative uh, probabilities. So um, yeah, without a, a physical body, you're able to extend your life thousands of years perhaps. I would have loved to state more on that, uh, the concept of immortality, because it really interests me a lot, you know, how much, like, uh, how, how alive are we going to feel when we are living as digital entities, as, I guess, because being alive as a human is you know, very interesting, it's very fascinating, like, you can feel your body, you can touch, you can feel life, so how much life would you feel when you are in that kind of a state? Well, let's, uh, uh, for, for the sake of time, let's go on. And also taking up from what you just said about um, how much uh, life, uh, how much real can these systems really appear because they are digital. And people go on to, to talk about these systems, like when you talk about the digital, people tend to understand them as very much artificial. And so many believe that our technology is alien to us in the sense that they find out that they are there. We created these things and that they are there we are the masters, we are the natural entities. And so the concept of artificial intelligence, you know, indicating that it is artificial and that it is a simulation of the natural intelligence. And so your book tries to make a parallel uh, a comparison between how, or the relationship between the natural, that's the biological, and the, uh, and the technological and artificial. So do you think... Um, our technology, how much, how much alien is our technology to us? Is it, is it actually artificial or is it actually part of us? And what does it actually bespeak? You know? I think at this moment, technology is quite cold and quite alien to us. It's, it's, um, but with the smartphone, it comes closer to our skin. And uh, a couple of years from now, we have wearables. So it gets closer and closer to our skin. But basically... Um, I don't think artificial intelligence is artificial. It's, it's synthetic intelligence. It's not biological. So it's the same kind of intelligence, but it has a different kind of body which, on, which it operates on. Um, and I think in, in, in the future, uh, technology, we will learn how quantum technology will work, how we can manipulate matter and, 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 and life. So I think the, 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 the barrier between technology and biology will, will dissolve. It will become one thing. So we are not going to implant chips in our heads, for example. I don't believe that. Um, we are not going to become cyborgs. But I think the technology in the future will nothing like look nothing like technology of today. So I think we should have some more imagination that technology in the future uh, will mean the same as, as intelligent matter, for example. Um, we will be able to reconstruct matter or, or living things. Um, and technology will help us to do so. So I think the, the boundaries will, will disappear. So eventually it will not alien to us, it will be normal. And if you look in my book, um, for example, uh, your brain cells, 
like it's like AI in the cloud for our body, for the cells in our body. And the brain cells didn't replace the cells in our body because a lot of people are afraid that AI will be our last invention, that it will kill us and it will be obsolete within the 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. I think that it will be a co-creation between human intelligence and, and, and synthetic intelligence. And um, if you look in our body, the, the nerve systems, uh, internet, the, the brains are all integrated with the rest of the cells. There is no difference. There are different types of tissue, but they're all, all living, living um, cells. I think that the same will happen with organizations. We now have technology in our organizations, which is more alien, which is metal and cold. But I think the technology will become more organic, synthetic, and it will more uh, integrate within organizations that will be one piece. We don't see it as something separate anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, just as a follow-up to that, if I understand, are you trying to say, or can we now say that all technological systems or technology is a continuation of the evolution uh, of the biological evol- uh, evolution or is it a separate evolution on its own? I think if you look at the biological evolution uh, cells used biological systems like tissue, uh, vascular systems, um, organs uh, to build organisms and we humans use technology to build organizations. So technology is not the next level in evolution. It's only a facilitating principle that helps us to create organizations because I think that organizations are the next level in evolution. So at a certain point, we created organisms which a couple of billion cells that work in harmony together. And I think that we will go into organizations that do the same, would have perhaps a billion people working together in harmony like one single organism. And there's no distinction anymore between the, the human part or the technology parts. It's one uh, interweaven uh, uh, object or, or um, construct. Yeah, interesting. Um, now, put it, put it on your humanification lens. What emerging technologies do you think we have the most significant impact on us as individuals and on our world in general? And what opportunities uh, do you think are daring for startups or founders and business people and even ordinary people like, uh, look, ordinary people, individuals like uh, me? I believe in technology that uh, helps you to become more self-sufficient, that these technologies will be very powerful because if people become more self-sufficient, we don't need governments and organizations anymore because we can uh, help ourselves in all kinds of needs. So I think that's the most important. And AI will be one of these technologies or blockchain-like technologies that will help us to become more sovereign with our own data and stuff. Um, But AI, I think, is the most impactful in the next 10, 15 years. It will totally change everything that we do, how organizations are structured, how our government is structured, how we live life, uh, our jobs, our our work, everything will change. So I, I believe that if you have a startup and you want to use technology, um, you can almost pick any problem, add AI to it, and solve it with AI. And I think that this is one of the biggest challenges uh, and also the biggest opportunities for for small startups, for people who want to use technology, because it will help us to solve uh, problems on a much higher um, level. Um, So if you can do that, then you can create value for society. And I think that's the main reason why organizations exist, because they create value for other people. And AI is, I think, one of the biggest uh, empowering technologies today. And 
in the next wave, in the seventh wave, uh, perhaps uh, augmented reality will be uh, the most powerful technology. But before that, we need a level of intelligence. So AI should first be become mature, and then we can roll out AR because AR today is, is, is a nice gimmick, a nice gadget, but it's not very useful uh, at this moment because we don't have the intelligence that was needed to use the technology. And I think you're saying this in respect to, uh, or in connection to how uh, the emergence of consciousness and in, in biology actually became the, the, the most revolutionary uh, thing that appeared in, in the evolutionary uh, ladder. You know, when human beings appeared, when, when Homo sapiens appeared, upturned everything that happened in the, in, in the world. So in the same way, would this have the same impact, the same impact that Homo sapiens had on planet Earth? Would, it, would artificial intelligence have the same impact in the world in general, in the universe? Yes, yes. And I, I, think I see AI uh, as co uh, collective consciousness because we put all our input, human input, we put in it and the system is making it up and, and uh, comes with new things that are built from our output. Uh, so I believe that that's uh, creating a collective intelligence based on AI or using AI, uh, some kind of hybrid intelligence, that that uh, will change everything. I think in the next 10 years, we'll see more change than in the past thousand years. It will completely restructure our society on, on each level, on every level. And um, I think that's the, the, the big uh, problem that we have today, that people are not seeing how much impact this will have on, on every part of our life. And I think that's the main reason why I'm talking about this subject, to make people conscious about um, how much, how many impact this will have on, on every vessel of our society and, and also on our personal lives. Uh, Christian Kome, uh, very pleased uh, to have you on the Future Discussions podcast show. Uh, and we do hope that whenever I call upon you next time, you would answer us and come to talk to us more about this issue. I'm so much very pleased to have you on the show. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, whenever I call upon you next time, uh, do please answer us and come, come around. I will, I will, I promise. Now, the purpose of this show is to create value in people's lives, you know, using technology. So, look at the ways through which, the different ways through which we can achieve that. And so, I would like to appeal to you out there. If you've got any product that you think will add value to people's lives, any tech product that you think will add value to people's lives, send me an email at featurediscussions8 at gmail.com. Let's see how we can really add value to people's lives. Because I'm looking at products that can really give people value uh, in whatever thing which they're doing. So just send me an email on that platform through that, or through that means so we can add value to people's lives. I'm very much passionate about that. You know, because there is this overemphasis on the negatives of technology. Well, it is true. But we're trying to look at how we can leverage on the positives and see how we can create more value, create surplus value, you know, to solve uh, problems.
problems in the world and the problems that people are witnessing because there are a whole lot of problems that we can utilize technology so if you've got any products that you think they can add value to people's lives now just oh, email me and uh, let's see how we can go about that so this is where we draw the curtain on today's show so far, I would say it's been an amazing conversation, an amazing uh, journey that we've had together. I really enjoyed it and I hope you did enjoy it. Please remember to subscribe to the show and also I would like to have a feedback from you guys. I'd like to have a feedback from you. Have you been listening to, to the Future Discussions podcast? I'd like to get the feedback from you uh, on what you think about this show. So to do that, you could either leave a review on your items on the show what you think about the show or you could also send me an email at futurediscussions8 at gmail.com take it again futurediscussions8 at gmail.com just just send me an email about that platform and i'll read your emails here in the show and i really appreciate that and if you'd like to get uh, updates on our fresh episodes you can follow us on Twitter at Future Discuss. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chuku Augustus. Chuku Augustus. Right? Chuku Augustus is spelled C H U K W A U G U S T U S. I also use the same handle on Instagram. You can also like our Facebook page at Future Discussions Podcast. So that's pretty much what I've got for you today. A very big thanks for listening. I'll catch you later.